Well, good morning, everyone. So good to be with all of you this morning. Uh, really excited about what we get to step into uh, as we continue our journey through the extraordinary unfolding of God's Word. Um, as you probably know, if you've been in church for any kind of period of time, uh, but just being human, you ought to know this, right? That we were created uh, to be in relationship with one another. We were not created to be isolated. When the human being is isolated, uh, then bad things start happening to us, right? Internally, very bad stuff starts happening. So we were really made to be in relationship with one another. And then from a biblical perspective, we weren't just made for relationship. We are told that is how we ought to live, that we must live in relationship. We must live together because we were designed to display the image of God, not as an individual alone, but as a community as well. And so in other words, we cannot best display God and image God when we are completely alone. We do that in community. So God has established a a number of different kind of relational dynamics, right? I mean, we have the parent-child relationship, we have the husband-wife relationship, we have the friend-friend relationship, uh, we have the enemy relationship, we have the workplace relationship, and all of these are relationships. You sometimes don't think of the enemy as one of them, but it's described in scripture as a standard reality for us human beings, right? And then we're told how to deal with it. So, so that is one of, the, one of the relationships that we will find ourselves in. And so we are called into relationship. And then from a scriptural standpoint, in terms of biblical community, that is us who follow Jesus and know him, uh, we are called to actually do life together. It's like, listen, you gotta do it together. You can't just be in the same geographical vicinity. You actually have to do life together. Just like the relationships uh, that are covenant relationships like a husband-wife relationship or relationships that are established through biology like parent-child or through adoption like parent-child relationships, now these kinds of things are things we are called into. And then we talk a lot in church about, man, you gotta be in community. You gotta you got do life together. And it sounds so beautiful, doesn't it? I mean, if you're alone out there, come in missional community, have your friends are here, and then here's what we do. We get into relationships, and they turn out to be kind of bad. <laughs> you guys are like, what? No, 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 I mean, like, really, they turn out to be kind of bad, don't they? I mean, have any of you traveled through a parent-child relationship for 16, 18, 23 years and gone like, listen, it has been sweet the entire time. I, mean, I can't think of a single moment where there's been conflict, difficulty, struggle. I mean, teenagers were the best of all. I mean, they were just like a cakewalk. When the kid was two, it was awesome. Pure obedience. See, I mean, you go, yeah, no, no, that, that one's bad. You're right, Renaud. Marriage. Yeah. I mean, if you've gone six, seven months, you're probably okay. Probably, maybe not. But if you've gone six or seven years, it ain't okay. Right? I mean, it's just not like, no, 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 we're at year seven, we're fine, but how is to year three? See what I'm saying? Like, uh, it just depends where that situation emerges, but relationships are hard, okay? They're just hard. They take work, they're difficult, uh, they're hard, and, and they're hard because we human beings are relatively selfish and we hurt each other, 
We just do. You will be hurt by other human beings and you will hurt other human beings. That is part of the deal that comes with the relationship. And so the irony is we are called into relationship in the biblical community to do life together as a church and we are told that the, the best way that we will display to the world that we follow Jesus is by our love one for another, our love for each other. So it is actually the relational dynamic that is given to us as the primary form through which we will make known the gospel. And the relationships are the hard thing. They're the ones that after a little while, he's like, I'm, I'm bailing, this is crazy. And in our, in our cultural community, uh, we bail on relationships all the time, because they're hard, I get it. I mean, I, I hardly ever see someone bailing on a relationship and I go, I just don't understand. It seems to be flowing so well. And I'm like, no, I understand why you wanna run and scream, but that doesn't mean you should run and scream. It just means you want to run and scream for good reason. Relationships are hard. You know what I'm super grateful for? Is that the scriptures doesn't dance around this issue. The scripture doesn't come up to us and say, oh, isn't it so beautiful in the Bible? And you all, and you all should live like this. And we're like, I, I understand this, but I don't get this. The scripture is constantly displaying the insanity of relationships. The difficulty, the struggle, the hardness of relationships, and then it's calling us into the continual beauty of living in relationship. Paul is an incredible guy uh, that we've been traveling with uh, in his third now, third church planting slash missionary journey. Uh, he's going around the known world planting churches because of an encounter he had with the gospel uh, on a road to a city called Damascus where Jesus literally showed up and spoke to him. Uh, he, he was called into apostleship uh, to be one of the guys that, uh, that, that is launching the early movement of the early New Testament church, right? And so uh, we've been traveling with him and he's now at that stage in his journey where he's planted several churches, he's hung out with them for long enough so we have some longevity of relationship, which means we have some complication of relationships, right? I mean, any longevity equals trouble. The, the, your best bet is short three, four day relationships, bail and you'll be okay, right? But if you go any longer than that, it's gonna get rough. And so he's had some long haul relationships now. And so now we're seeing the letters begin to go back and forth as Paul is in one geographical location writing to another. And our advantage is that God, uh, through his sovereignty, made some of these letters part of how he speaks to us through generations. He made them scripture which is awesome. So he inspires Paul to write these things. He writes them with Paul so that they are not just a letter to a church, but they become the holy scriptures for us to try to figure out what life looks like for us in community. That's, why, that's what I love. God didn't write stuff out of context of the human story. He wrote them right smack dab in the middle of the human story. So Paul's been struggling with the church in Corinth. I mean, the relational struggles here have been very deep. This is probably so far in our journey with Paul, some of the deepest hurts and pains we've seen in him. I mean, he's described them in the letters, like how deeply the people of Corinth pained him, how much he expected of them uh, in relationship and how, how they didn't just not deliver, but they were actually the very opposite. They went from, from brother to enemy, from brother to enemy, and they did it uh, so easily, and I think that's the worst for Paul, right? I mean, the first round of false teachers into your space and you bail on me, stab me in the back and believe them and I spent more time with you than I have anyone else so far. I mean, it's, it's a, you can feel it. 
It's deep. Paul's pains that he feels from the church in Corinth is because they've behaved very badly. They've ignored everything that they ought to be doing. And the church in Corinth have been hurt by Paul. Now, ironically, in this particular scenario, their hurt from Paul wasn't because Paul did anything to hurt them, but because their perceptions of what he was doing were hurtful. But it's still legitimate hurt, okay? It's wrongly placed hurt, but it's still hurt because that's how we humans work, right? Perception is 90% of reality, right? I mean, most of us, when hurt, we're not actually, the person's not actually trying to hurt us. We just think they are because we're making observations or we're listening in to the others who are making observations and we're going, yeah, you're right. That person did hurt me. I deserve to fight. I mean, this is how we roll. And so you see the church of Corinth hurt by Paul, wrongly so because of their perceptions, because of false teachers that stirred things up. Paul hurt by them because they were so easily influenced by perceptions. And there it is, folks. Welcome to human relationship. And yet, Paul doesn't bail on this story. Ought to should, but he doesn't because the gospel of Jesus Christ demands that we're bigger and better than that and that we work through these things instead of bailing on them when they come around. And so we have 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is the third letter Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians being the first letter, a very uh, corrective letter behaviorally. These are the behaviors that need to be corrected. If you say you follow Jesus, then living like this makes no sense because you're literally saying, I believe, but I don't believe. So if you believe, then your behaviors ought not to be something you do because you want to prove something to God. They should be the fruit of belief. If, you, if your behaviors don't line up with God, you ought to ask yourself, what do I believe? Because what we believe is what we do. And so that's what he kind of said in 1 Corinthians. And it was a hard letter. Second letter, so severe, God didn't put it in Scripture. Right? I was like, I can't show this to people. No, that's not the reason. But I feel like when we die, it's going to be a fun conversation with Paul and God about why that letter didn't make it. And then the third letter, 2 Corinthians, the second one we have access to. This letter, so beautiful. Paul coming out of two severe letters. And this letter, he's now, he's now working on what is behind everything he's written so far. And he's working through the pain that has been the relationship with the church in Corinth, okay? And so he starts out with grace, which is where we have to start in any human relationship. Without God's grace in us and through us, we don't make it, people. We don't make it in relationship. But God's grace to us and through us is a beautiful reality. Then uh, our grace to others in response to God's grace to us, another layer of grace. We don't make it if we don't have grace for each other. And, and then after that, he goes into the beauty of the gospel, where grace comes from, why grace exists, what Jesus did for us, so that we would remember, because if we don't remember, we don't make it. And then he goes in through the new covenant and the beauty of the gospel and, and who we are in Christ. And then he calls us back into how we are to live in the big picture in response to that gospel. You are ambassadors of Christ, reconcilers of people to God, reconcilers of people to people. This is what you do. And so that we know, oh, that's right. We don't bail. We, we, we press in. No wonder Jesus said they'll know you by your love for each other. And then out of that, he gets real specific with the church in Corinth, right? Now, I've kind of talked in general, ambassadors of Christ, ministers of reconciliation. 
Uh, now, that money that you promised that you're not giving anymore, <laughs> I mean, that counts. Not because it's money, but because it's a promise, right? And so he goes into generosity, and then he talks to them directly about their relationship with him and their relationship with each other, and they're, they're falling for false teachers, so he gets real specific. Here's generally how you respond to the gospel, and then for you particularly right now, here's what you need to be examining in your life to respond to the gospel. And now we're at the end of the letter. I'm, I'm super sad, I really am, except for the fact that we're going to Romans next, which I'm super excited. So, um, but uh, 2 Corinthians coming to a close, right? This week and next week, and then we're done. So how is Paul closing this thing out? All that dynamic I just talked about, all that relational stuff, all that hurt, all that pain, and this letter was preparing for a third visit that he's gonna make so the third visit doesn't go badly. How does he close this thing out? Well, as he does, we are going to discover some of the most beautiful things that we need to know about how to make it in life together without derailing just because relationships are hard. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians. If you grabbed one of the Bibles at the door, um, they are brand new, and, and we got them because they got big writing. Yay! So you can actually read it. More importantly, I can too, which is really, really great because oftentimes I was on the stage going, and uh, I hope this is right because I, I couldn't see it, but now I can see it. So, and it's not because I'm getting older and my eyes are bad, although that may be true, but this is bigger, so that's really good. We're gonna go to page 1073, so 1073. If you're using one of the Bibles we provided at the door, if you brought your own Bible, we're going to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. So Paul has spoken now into who he is, his authority, uh, what the people missed along the way, how insane it is that they've bought into these false teachers. He's really undone the false teachers by boasting, even though boasting is not how to do it. But Paul was like, I have to do this because I have to regain some sanity from you so I can even speak in because you're not listening. And so Paul, this, this is that whole section where he's been like, I'm such a fool this is crazy, I can't believe you're making me do this, but here it is, I, I'm not what these guys say I am, and these guys are not what they say they are, right? So that's where we've come through, and now we're in 12, 11, and here's where he starts this particular section uh, of the letter. I have been a fool, you forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. So Paul right away just reminds them, all this boasting I did, I hate that you made me do that. But I had no choice, because the people that should have been boasting on my behalf are you. So folks, in relationship, right, we ought to be defending each other, right? We ought to be defending each other. Nobody else is defending us, we ought to be defending each other. But how often do we not defend each other, but we actually just kind of, because we're hurt, we don't defend, we kind of like, no, 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 it is. So Paul is just dealing with this directly. He's saying, look, I have legitimate reason to be hurt. You, you ought to have been the one defending me. When those bozos came to town and started telling you all sorts of stuff about me, you ought to have been the one to boast for me so I wouldn't have to boast. And I've been a fool because you made me do it and I'm hurt. I love that Paul, at the very end of the letter, isn't pretending there's no hurt. He's not pretending it wasn't hard. He's not pretending that they did the right thing. He's not beating around the bush. He's not tiptoeing. He's like, you guys should have done this and you didn't, so I had to boast. But I've done it now and hopefully righted the ship. And why should they have boasted in Paul? Look at this, verse 12. 
The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you, forgive me for this wrong. So he's like, look, of all the people that should have had reason to defend me, it's you. It's you. In our closest relationships are often where we experience the most hurt and we experience the most turmoil. And here's why. Because when we are close as human beings, we hurt each other more. We just do because we spend more time together. It's not because the person hates you more or you hate the person more. You just are in more time together. And for us human beings, time together only reveals dysfunction, right? And so then we just start getting ticked off. That's why people are in churches generally one, two, three years and then they bail. Because after three or four years, you've been around long enough to be hurt and you've been around long enough to hurt people so now you have awkward relationships in the lobby and you don't want to see them so you go and find new people so that in three or four years you can leave those people. That's what we do. It's okay, I'm, I'm just saying it's normal, but we don't have to live that way. Paul says, listen, you should have defended me because of all the people that should have known better who I was, it's you. So he's just being real, he's just being upfront, and I love that, he's not pretending. Here it is, verse 14. Here for the third time, I am ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? This is now the beginning of Paul reminding them again of why he does what he does. Because this is critical, folks, because most of the time in relationships, most of the time, what we are assuming about the other human being is their motives, but we ought not to assume a motives, right? And so our motives may actually be diabolical on occasion. Mine have been, I'm just saying, as have yours. But most of the time they're not diabolical. They're just misinformed or they're missed or you're trying to do the right thing but you're doing it wrongly or you don't want to do the right thing but it's because you're super mad and hurt, right? And so there's all these different reasons that things don't go well. And so Paul is not only saying, you should have defended me and you should have done this, but he's also saying, look, I get that you think that I hurt you. I love that Paul's doing this. He doesn't have to, because they're, they're misinformed by these false teachers. But he's saying, I get that you thought I was after your stuff. I get that you thought everything I was doing was diabolical to try to scam you out of what you have. I bet you thought I was, or I know you thought I was there to gain influence and to gain resource because remember the church in Corinth was a wealthy church. It was a good church to have on your side from a resource standpoint. And he's like, look, I, I, I get it, but, but I want you to know the reason I did not take from you offerings when I was there like these other guys are doing is not because I was trying to trick you, but it's because I was genuinely trying not to burden you. Genuinely, legit, that's what I was doing. I came so I wouldn't be a burden, and, he, and did you see the little sarcasm there? You know, when I came, did you get any less of me than any of the other churches? You should have been defending me because you got more of me, more of the gospel than they did. More time with the gospel anyways, not more of the gospel, but more time with the gospel. You saw things. And the only thing I didn't give you that I gave some of them was the burden to carry me. 
And I gave it to them because they were ready for it. And you, I wanted to give you space. And you held, you held that against me. Unbelievable. But I wasn't doing it to take anything from you. In fact, my heart for you is that I would spend myself wholeheartedly, lose everything if for your sake you might find the journey that you're called to in Jesus. And when I come again, I'm not gonna burden you again because a parent, Paul's making himself parent again, I love his subtlety here, that relationship, because a parent saves up for the child, the child doesn't save up for the parent. We're supposed to take care of our children. So Paul's going, that's what I did. And, and now he's gonna expand on that real quick and say, look, it's been that way all the time, look at this. Oh, and by the way, just before I do that, uh, I, I love this line. Um, so if I love you more, am I to be loved less? That's just Paul's way of saying this. It seems that the more I pour my love out for you, the less you like me. And that tends to be the case sometimes, doesn't it? We, we pour ourselves out and it seems like the person we're pouring ourselves into uh, takes greater offense as we love them more. Here's what I love about that line, okay? What Paul ought to say along with that line is, I've poured myself out for you and you've loved me less, so I'm done. But do you notice, notice what he's doing? It seems the more I pour myself out for you, the less you love me, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pour myself out more. I hope you love me more. But if you don't, it's okay, because I'm gonna pour myself out more. I would gladly spend myself so that you might have life. Look at this. But granting that I myself, verse 16, did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Paul's trying to trick you. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? See, what Paul's doing here is he is, again, not beating around the bush on what is actually on the table. So often in our cultural context because we either don't want to defend, uh, uh, offend or we're playing games with each other, we want to tiptoe around things instead of dealing with them because we're afraid that dealing with them will be too hard. But Paul's going, no, I'm not gonna leave this alone. Grace does not demand that I pretend it didn't happen. Grace demands that the way I deal with it isn't the way humans deal with it without Jesus. So I'm gonna deal with it this way. We're gonna look at it directly. I'm gonna tell you where I was offended. I'm gonna admit that I'm sure you were offended too, even though my motives were not necessarily what you thought they were. I'm gonna tell you what my motives really were, whether you believe me or not is irrelevant to me, and I'm gonna show you, look, when I sent Titus, if this was all crafty and trickery, then when Titus came, he would have taken big stuff from you. Well, he didn't. I told him to do the same thing I did, not be a burden to you. Verse 19, have you been thinking all along that we have de been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. See, Paul is speaking directly to the, the primary things that he was accused of. You're deceiving us to take our stuff and look, now you're defending yourself because you know how this works. When people are speaking into your ears about people you ought to be loving but that you're hating because they hated you, right? They often do, the, oh, oh, they're, just, they're just defending again. That's what those guys were doing in, in, in Corinth. Oh, is Paul writing another letter of defense? Look, look at him, defending himself. When he's here, he's a pansy, but when he writes his letters, oh, he's big and strong. That's because he's too weak when he's here. He's just defending himself, and so Paul goes, do, do you really think we've been de defending ourselves? I, I love this moment where he reminds the church in Corinth of a reality of relationship as well. It's like, 
guys, I don't need to defend myself to you. Do you understand that? I don't need you to like me. This isn't about me needing you to like me. Folks, you will find in relationship, there are very few people, if any, on this planet that you will really have need to like you forever, right? We, we're amazing as human beings. We can stop needing someone to like us as soon as we hate them enough. That's why we can bail on all the relationships we are called into. And so Paul's saying, don't think we've been defending ourselves because I need the church in Corinth to like Paul. In fact, at this point, I'm about ready to cut you off and walk away. I've got plenty of other churches that like me. I'm not defending myself to you because the only one that judges me is God. I am defending myself to you for a reason utterly different than you may think. Now, this is critical because this begins to give us the secret of how we are to encounter relationships with with each other in a gospel-informed manner. Here's what Paul says. Look at this. Look at this. This is so awesome. Look at this. Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your building, beloved. This is incredible. See, Paul has been defending himself to the church in Corinth for what purpose? For the church in Corinth. For the church in Corinth. Isn't that crazy? It makes no sense, does it? The church in Corinth hates Paul because the people told them things about Paul that aren't true, and so now they're angry at Paul, so they don't want anything to do with Paul. And instead of Paul walking away from that relationship saying, I don't need you, I don't need you, Paul defends himself, calling himself a fool while doing it, and goes, I shouldn't have had to do it, but I did it, not because I needed you to like me, but because you needed me to defend myself so that you would hear the word of God again. Sometimes, when we're stepping into relationship and we need to engage in that defense, it is not because we need the person to buy in. You see, for most of us, if we are defending ourselves, it is for ourselves. But Paul says, if you're gonna defend yourself, defend yourself for the sake of the person, not for your sake. And if it's not gonna be helpful for the sake of the person, then don't. Isn't that beautiful? Everything you're gonna hear from Paul from here on forward is gonna be about Paul doing this for them. Watch, it is for your building up that I defended myself. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there will be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. There is why Paul has been defending himself. I'm defending myself to try to right this trajectory for you because if I don't do that, then when I come for my third visit, I'm going to find you hurt. I'm going to be hurt. We're going to find each other not where we want. Then we're going to quarrel, fight, have dissension, be ticked off like the second visit was. Then that's going to go badly. And on top of that, not only will I be humiliated again as my God allows me humiliation, in your presence, but I will have to mourn the fact that the very people I want to see repenting of the horror in which they're living haven't repented. 
And so I'm going to have the courage to write this letter and the courage to defend myself and the courage to speak in if by some small change it may avoid that insanity. See, Paul's been doing this for them. I don't want you to keep living foolishly. I don't want us to keep living foolishly. I don't want this to keep being foolish. This is bad for the gospel, bad for the honor of Christ, bad for you, bad for me, bad for us, bad for the church. And so I will write unapologetically, I will come unapologetically, I will speak unapologetically, but I do not boast so that I can defend myself. I boast so that the gospel might be made beautiful in all of us again. Don't you see that? Isn't that beautiful? Now, this is tricky because this means we have to check ourselves all the time because our tendency is not to boast for the sake of others <laughs> or to defend for the sake of others. We do that for our own sakes, but Paul is genuinely saying there's a time when I do it for your sake. Now look at this. <clears throat> this is the third time I am coming to you Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. That's out of an earlier portion of scripture, okay? So he's saying, remember, we are not gonna come together and do this whole he said, she said deal. Forget about it. We're not doing that again. Second visit Paul had, remember, went very badly. Lots of, lots of arguing and strife and malice. And he's like, we are not doing that again. When I come, if you got accusations against me or against one another or I against you, we, we do it properly, okay, we do it properly. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warned them now a while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Oh, I love this. I love this because again, a letter about grace, a letter about grace, and yet grace does not mean the absence of confrontation the absence of stepping into people's lives when they're foolish, the absence of being hard when hard is needed. It simply means that the reason you're being hard is not to defend yourself or not to boast in yourself, but it is to see the other person redeemed. This is a big deal. Now look at this. <clears throat> Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, another accusation that was made against him, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. So here's what Paul's saying. When Christ gave himself for us, in our observation, he seemed weak, did he not? He was given over to humanity. The guards took him. He had no power to come off the cross. He didn't come off when the guards said, if you're God, come off and do it. Even though I would have been wiped everybody out. Thank goodness I'm not Jesus. Uh, but he didn't because he is. And so he seemed weak in what he was doing for us then. But now he ain't weak because he's back from the dead. And he's alive and strong. And here's what Paul's doing. He's comparing that to what's happened with Paul and the Corinthians. When I came for my second visit, I seemed weak, didn't I? Because I, was, because I was engaging with you in a manner that I was trying to navigate the circumstances without needing to be severe. I was trying to step in without needing to be on you. And so I came across weakly. And so the, the apostles that were there on my second visit when I came, because remember when he came the second time, those bozos were already in town, right? Because he came after the first letter. 
And so when he came there, it it turned into a giant mess because he was trying to be kind and sweet and, 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 and he said, I may have seemed weak to you then, but I was not weak just as Christ was not weak on the cross. That was a choice he made voluntarily for our sake. But when he came back from the dead, man, you, you don't want to mess with Jesus. Come back, you, you can be the soldier and come off the cross. But when he's like, you don't, you don't scream at him like that because then you die. And in the same way, Paul says, when I come back this round, it's not going to be nice diplomatic Paul. I'm not going to be laying myself down on the cross for you. I'm gonna find those who have not repented and I'm gonna deal with them directly because they are messing with the biblical community and I'm done with that, I'm done with that. So you tell them, Paul's coming and if they want proof that Jesus is strong in me, oh don't worry, they will get far more than they bargained for because I'm coming and Jesus is strong in me. See again, what I love about this is that we have often thought that relational dynamics where grace abounds means that we're just super sweet. And we just kind of, we kind of tiptoe around things. Grace is the internal reasons for which we are doing things, not the external expressions, though they will play out in external expressions well then, because if my reason for engaging with you is always measured by what is best for you, what will build you up, then I will make decisions based on that, and I may hold my tongue at times when I want to speak, or I may speak up when I want to hold my tongue because I don't want to offend or I don't want to be a burden, but I will do those things because I will determine that in that moment by the Spirit of God, they are best for you, not for me. Paul did not want to boast, but he did because it was best for them. Paul does not want to be harsh, but he is because it's best for them because they are living foolishly and he wants to change that. Now look at this. I love this. Now he says, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test, I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may do not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. If we cannot do anything against, for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. Here's what Paul's basically saying in that kind of weird sentence structure, okay? I want you to examine yourself. Don't don't measure yourself against me or anybody else. Just examine yourself. And if your life, you say you follow Jesus, then check yourself and see what's playing out in the way you're thinking about life and about each other about how you deal with one another. Examine yourself and check the motives by which you are doing all this stuff with me and with one another. And if you find, as you ought to, that you follow Jesus, that will inform the way you ought to live. Some of you will find that the way you're living tells you that you really don't buy into Jesus. Then I hope you buy into Jesus really quickly. That that you remember who he is and what he's done and what the gospel is. And and I don't really care if you think I follow Jesus. Because remember that was one of the accusations. Paul isn't even a Christ follower. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not asking you to examine me. Just examine yourself. And if, if you need to believe that I don't and that helps you come to know Jesus better, well, I like being weak. I don't really care. 
Again, just, I don't, this isn't about me, Paul says. This isn't about me. It's not about what I need or what I want or what I need to see in you. This is about you and what you need. And that's why I'm asking you to examine yourself and check things. And, and if you find that you're not in Christ, then get in Christ because your restoration is all that I pray for. And then he says this in verse 16, for this reason, I love that, for this reason, I write these things while I am away from you. For this reason, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. I love this end because here's what Paul says. The authority God has given me over you, the relationship God has given you with anyone and anyone with you in biblical context must always be, was always for the building up of others. Let me say that again. The relationships God has given you in biblical community context, covenant relationships, parent-child relationships, friend relationships, within the biblical context of biblical community was given to you for your building up and for the building up of others, period, end of sentence. Do you understand? So if you have authority, it's for the building up of those who you have authority over, and if you're under someone's authority, it is for them to build you up. That is what we are existing together for, for the building up of one another. Paul will write later on to the church in Ephesus, and he will write this in Ephesians chapter four, verse 29. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Zero, none, nothing, except for that, which is for the building up of others according to their needs. That's it. If you're gonna do something or say something and it's not gonna build somebody up, don't do it, don't say it. That's what Paul's saying. That's what God is saying. This is why we exist, to build each other up. And Paul says, I will use my authority harshly if that's gonna build you up. I will use it in a gentle, encouraging way if that's what's gonna build you up. I'm writing this letter, so when I come, I can use it in an encouraging and gentle way. You see, Paul didn't say, so I can use it for the building up instead of severely. He said, so I don't have to use it severely for your building up as I have had to do in the past. We exist to build each other up. You know what this was? This was Paul's little speech to the teenager after reprimanding them. I don't know about you guys. I have teenagers now and it's complicated. I love my teenagers. I've got five of them and I've got two in a year. So I'll have seven in a year because my oldest won't quite not be a teen yet. And so I'll have seven. And teenagers are are funny creatures, aren't they? I love them to death, they're super cool, but they're funny creatures uh, because they really do genuinely think that they've got it covered. It's amazing, 16 and they know everything about the world. And we parents give them a lot of legitimate reason to be frustrated with us. I mean, at least I do, maybe you don't, maybe you're awesome, but I give my kids lots of reason to be frustrated with me. I do many things wrongly with them. I fight them and provoke them when I ought not to. So they have a a litany of, here here you are, you're you're the idiot. And I'm like, no, I, I am somewhat, but I am also a little older than you, so I might know some things you don't. And then you have those hard talks, right, when they're behaving in ways that they think is just awesome, and you're like, it ain't awesome its consequences down the road become very, very big than they roll the eyes. Yeah, 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 I'll lose my job in the future. I got it. You've told me that 10 trillion times. I'm like, yeah, but when you lose your job, you're gonna go, uh-huh. So here's the thing, right? I speak into them, it's hard, it's rough, and then you do the little speech, don't you? Guys, look, I know this was hard. I know it was. I know this is a rough time for us, but I just want you to know the reason I'm being hard is because I love you. It's because I want what's best for you in the future. Now, do the teenagers believe that when I say them to them? 
whatever. They'll, they'll say, no, no, I really do believe my dad. No, no, no they don't. Their eyes roll back in their heads and they're like, I've heard this one before. It's, it's okay. I did the same thing when I was a teenager. It's what we do. But it's important that we see Paul's heart here going, I know I've written some hard letters. I know I'm dealing with some hard stuff with you. But we get through this, you understand? We get through this. This is why I'm choosing to be this way. See, for us in biblical community, relationships are going to be hard. Guys, it's going to be hard. Your marriages are going to be hard at times. Your parent-child relationship's hard. Your friendship's hard. If you have friends here and you hang out for a decade and a half, that's gonna get complicated and hard. And we're gonna have to approach each other with hard things at times. And it's not always gonna go well. But here's the deal. If we know Jesus, then Paul says this. You keep pressing in, and here's what you do. You don't ignore and pretend that it's hard. You speak into that. We get to, we get to do that. We have permission for that. Also, you do the hard work once you bring the stuff to the table. You don't bring it to the table, start screaming at each other, and then leave. You bring it to the table, you work it through, you do the hard work. You always, always check your motives. Always. Because you will find them to be wrong a lot of the time. What I mean by wrong is they'll be about you instead of about the other person. And then it's okay, because they're gonna be wrong a lot. Mine are wrong a lot. And then I gotta go, oh, that's so about me. And then for six, seven weeks, I just wanna be about me. And then slowly the spirit of God undoes me, right? I mean, it doesn't like, oh my gosh, I realized that now I'm gonna be gracious and wonderful. Usually when I figure out it's about me, I'm still ticked enough to have it be about me for a while longer still. <laughs> just live in that shame for a while and then I move on. And then do it for the building up of others. For the building up of others. Here's our secret. This is the end of 2 Corinthians minus one more week next week that's super beautiful. But here's kind of the, 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 the beginning of the end, right? If everything you do together is for the building up of others and you always assume that what the person is doing to you if in biblical community is for your building up, even if they might be doing it wrongly, be a little foolish in the way they're doing it and you're a little hurt by it, you just go, you know what? I'm gonna assume that they're trying to build me up. I mean, they're totally blowing it, but I'm gonna assume they're trying then we're going to be okay. We're going to be better than okay. We're going to be the kind of biblical community that Jesus will be able to say, you want to know who follows Jesus? Check these guys out. They have hard relationships. It's rough. It's tumultuous. It's crazy. But they work at building each other up and they assume that others are trying to build them up and when they blow it, they repent and do it again. This is how it rolls. So now they've got decades of relationship behind them that they didn't bail on. This is how we do it. And if we're going to do that, if we're gonna do that, we only got one shot at this. We gotta remember the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he's done for us, and the grace that he's affected us because without rem remembering that God's grace is in us and God's grace is through us and our grace ought to be abundant in response to God's grace for us because his covenant is beautiful and his rescue is extraordinary and his redemption is incredible and we have a purpose restored and we are ambassadors of Christ carrying the light of the gospel into the world first to one another and then to the world and in doing so, that measures us. If we don't do all of that, we will not make it. And so we remember Jesus and what he's done we live in that and we build each other up and when we blow it, we ask forgiveness. And if we do that, then we are going to be beautiful. Let's pray.
God, thanks for this incredible letter that you graciously included in your revelation to us that we could see in the midst of the tumultuous relationships that exist in that place, in our place, that you are at work not in places where we've got it together, but you're at work right smack dab in the middle of our hardness. God, help us to remember who you are, who we are in you, what your grace has been to us and is to us and will be to us. And help us to begin to press in to what it looks like to figure out how to build each other up and not tear each other down. Whether in sometimes severe, difficult, hard conversations or sometimes beautiful, gentle, loving conversations. Sometimes holding our tongue because it's just not helpful not to and sometimes speaking up because it's just not helpful not to. Give us the power in you to discern which is which and when it comes, not by what we feel we need, but by what we discern the other person needs. God, we're not there. Don't know that we'll ever be fully there, but may you empower us to strive to that end as a body that is your body. We love you, Jesus. Amen.